to the Mastering College Podcast, a guide to landing your dream job. I'm your host, Daniel Botero, and my goal is to help you take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you how to land your dream job. Welcome back to the episode of the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you all. His name is Les Cowie. Les is a consultant and keynote speaker, and he specializes in video and simulation-based web delivery learning systems. And I met Les at a SHRM meeting, which is a uh, uh, HR manager association meeting, and I was very intrigued on what he does and what really one of the things that i was very impressed when les was sharing me is his system on the seven steps for employees to be successful quickly and he has a a book on it and everything and so i really wanted to have him come on the podcast and share with the student audience on what are the seven things that they can do right off the bat once they start their job so that they can set themselves up for the future so without further ado les how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Gosh, it's so popular and you have a great following of college people and managers in business. I'm impressed. No, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm just excited that we actually got the time to sit down together and record this podcast because I, I'm, I'm very confident that a student listening to this or even a HR manager, because you're right, I've been having a lot more managers and professors listen to the podcast as well, that they will take something out of this conversation. But before we dive into the topic of today, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, you've already told them that I'm a consultant and I do keynote speaking. I'm a member of the National Speaker Association, but uh, also SHRM, but uh, I'm a member of ATD, which is the Association of Talent Development, and I'm their director of college outreach. And so that gets me invited every now and again to talk to a university about, you know, what it takes when you're graduating to get out there and get a job. I don't know how many of your folk out there, Daniel, know this, but right now in the U.S. there are 7 million, 7 million unfilled jobs. What people don't know is 6.2 million of those are for technical jobs in industry and manufacturing. They machine operation jobs. They are really technical apprentice-type related jobs. Well, that leaves, you know, 700,000, 800,000 opportunities for graduates. It's really very critical when somebody comes out there to be able to know how to make an impression quickly in a job to retain that job because... There are not many jobs out there for graduates, and we know that a lot of graduates you know, have a lot of debt and can't find a job, and that's just a tragedy for me. So I like to help coach graduates in how to interview correctly, how to prepare for an interview, and most importantly, what to do in the first seven days. So let's, I know that we're going to spend the majority of the time talking about the first seven days because they're, they're so important, but we, before we jump into the main topic... What are some best advice that you have before the student gets the job? You know, um, the one thing that I'd really like to get across to most college graduates or people about to graduate is when you go to the interview, remember this, 
It's not about you. It's actually about them. And what happens is a lot of um, you know, young folk go to an interview with a resume and then they sit and wait and they expect the interviewer to look at their resume and ask them questions. Well, they can only ask you questions about the things in your resume. But what is important to them? They want to hire you to solve a problem. And it's about that problem, it's about that business and how it makes its money and how it tries to contain costs, right? Right. So, when you get in the interview, go prepared with some questions. And these are not just looking on the internet and trying to show them that you've read their website and you know about their company, okay? Just basic questions like, when they start asking you questions about you, say to them, oh, I'd love to answer that, but to make sure that I answer it in context, could I first ask you a couple of questions? Of course, they'll say yes. And then you say, well, in this particular job, what is the biggest problem that you're trying to solve? What are the needs in the job? What are the challenges? How does this company make money? And this job, is it one that generates money or is it one where you've got to manage costs? Okay. Now they start talking about them. And if I can get across one thought to those young folk out there, when you come out of that interview, if you can say to yourself that you got them to talk 65% of the time about the job, you've had a great interview. And you've got a probability of being called back. Okay, now those are some very great strategies. So let me ask you a, a couple of questions that I, I would see from a student's perspective. A lot of times, the first couple of interviews are done by a campus recruiter or some sort of HR manager that might not necessarily be very well knowledge of the positions where they're interviewing for. So when, if a student is prepared and has those questions, that might actually stomp them and intimidate them. And I would, see in a, I would think it might even hurt their chances at that point. What do you think on That's that? That's a really good question, but now... Watch the slant on that, okay? okay? Because put yourself in the position of the recruiter. They want to present the best candidate they can. Correct. Because they want the candidate to be selected. Why? They're going to make money out of it. Yep. Okay, right. They want their candidate to win. So when you say to the recruiter, you know, how much do you know about the company so that I really present myself well for your benefit as well? Um, can you tell me something about the challenges in the job? Can you tell me something? Is it a job that generates money or mm -hmm. is it one where you've got to manage costs? You know, is it one where there are problems in the job that are causing a high turnover? And it's okay if you can answer that, but when I get into the interview, those are the things I like to talk about because I would like them to hire me to help them solve those problems. I want to get in there and be of benefit to them. And so what, what would you reply to someone saying, a lot of the level entry jobs, students are necessarily being hired to solve all the problems, but they're being hired so they can train them to be the future leaders of the organization. Once again, it's the spin that you put on it. Uh, I presume when I get into the job, you're going to be training me towards something that you need or want. Okay, what will you be training me for? 
what are the challenges, go back to the same theme, what are the challenges that you are going to train me to help solve for you? And are you going to train me to help generate money for you or to save money for you? Or are you going to train me to improve processes for you so that we can improve throughput and performance? You know, What is it you really need from this job? Because I know I'd like to get the job, but I'd like to be selected because I'm someone who, even in an entry-level job, can be of value to you. Excellent. You're kind of selling yourself, so you've got to sell the benefits, but you have to sell the benefits by asking the questions that make people think, huh, this is someone different. And so how much of those questions should have you been able to figure out by the research that you should have done before you even walked into the interview? I really feel you don't need to do that research before the interview because people spot immediately you've read the... All you're trying to do is show that you've read the website. Um, you know, it's, it's a generic question, you know, what is this job about? What are the challenges in the job? What do you need the job to solve? Mm -hmm. Is it a job that generates revenue? Is it a job that manages costs? Is it a job where you've got to improve processes? Yeah. You know, so those five basic elementary things. And you, you don't even have to have read their website, although it's a good thing, because they may ask you a question mm -hmm. where knowing a bit about the company may help. I guess one of the things that I suggest students, specifically if they're, if they're looking to go work for a publicly traded company, is to read the company's 10K report. Because in the 10K report, specifically when they're talking about where the company sees themselves, where they are now, and where they're heading, the company's publicly writing and saying what their strategic goals are for the next upcoming years, right? Yeah. And so you can kind of already foreshadow or predict what the company is looking to do. Um, and so that's where I would say, students, that's the type of research that I would say because now you know what are the problems that the companies are looking to solve in the next year to five years. Yeah. The message I'd like to convey is avoid statements in an interview. Think of questions. And think of the kind of question you can ask to get them talking. People love talking about themselves and they love bragging about their positions and they love bragging about their company. And they will think you are so intelligent because you've asked them these great questions and they've had the chance to talk to you. Most uh, students going into an interview go there and wait to be asked all the questions. And when the interviewer runs out of questions, that's it. And then Daniel... The most important question, okay, at the end of the interview, the most vital question. I've trained so many salesmen, and it just drives me mad when a salesman, after he's trained, and goes and does a sales presentation. He doesn't close. <laughs> and it's not that he doesn't close, he doesn't ask for the order that allows him to close. So you're right, it's yeah. that closing. The student in the interview must say, this has been great. I've, I've really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you so much for the opportunity. May I ask, do I fit the criteria for this job? Yeah. And can you indicate at this stage, would you consider me for the position? Because one of the lessons I've learned in business, Daniel, is a quick no is better than no no at all. 
because so often a student leaves an interview thinking they've, they've done a great job, and then they sit and wait, and they wait, and they wait, and, you know, yep. what you need to do is get on and find the next one. So if it's a no, draw the no and move on. Move on. So I have a... So for the students that have listened to me and have even talked about it in, in previous podcasts, what I always say, always end up with this question, which is extremely similar to yours. Yes. I, my last question for every interview that I suggest every student to close with is, is there any particular reason why you think I might not be a good fit for this job? That, uh, I love it. I absolutely love yeah. it. That's great. So similar to your question, I suggest them to ask this question because it's closing them. You're asking them for feedback. But the way that this question is, is phrased, is there any particular reason why you think I might not be a good fit, allows the objection, if there is an objection, to come out. Yes. And it gives the student one opportunity to overcome that objection. Yes. So if an employer would say, you might not have enough leadership skills, the student might be able to say, maybe I forgot to say, an ex, an ex, uh, I might have forgot to mention that yeah, I, I was president of my business fraternity or yeah. I was president yeah, of a yeah. senior organization. Good. Very good advice. Yeah. Um, that's excellent because, but the, you know, the main thing I want to convey to them is ask the questions, get them talking and right yeah. at the end, as you say, they got to close. Close it. And a quick no is better than no, no at all. Absolutely. All right. So now let's say they closed it. They got the feedback. They got the job, and it's their first day. Yeah. Let's talk now. <laughs> oh, well, as you know from all your colleagues at uh, Sherm Society for Human Resource Management, businesses pride themselves in what they call onboarding. But, Daniel, <laughs> typically what that is is a day or two or three days of uh, discussions, videos, filling in papers or keying in a all your personal details in a computer and signing up and so on. And you, you know, you may watch some very sophisticated programs on the company's culture, its products, you know, its benefits, uh, and, you know, a message of welcome. But then what happens, and this frustrates me, in 70% of companies in this country, the student then gets walked across to a workstation, introduced to whomever may be there at the time, because if somebody's not there, quite often they don't go find them, and they get dumped at a workstation and left to learn the job randomly. So just kind of as it happens, by trial and error. And by now, you know that I'm a person who's not about statements, it's about questions. And so I believe that if you equip um, a young graduate or college student with the right things to do and questions to ask, and you expect them to be proactive from day one, in those first seven days they can follow seven steps to ask the right questions to understand the job content, and in the process of doing that, establish relationships with the people around them, who then become welcoming, supportive, and team builders. Okay. So before we dive into the seventh step, which I know is extremely important, I want to make sure the students understand why is 
the first seven days, the first 30 days, and even the first 90 days of their career so crucial for their future? You know, Daniel, what happens in so many cases is that somebody comes in, it's their first job, and then they, they've had this nice big introduction, they get to the workstation, they sit down, and then they wait for someone to take them by the hand, okay, because mummy always took you by the hand, right, and someone must take them by the hand and show them what to do or teach them what to do. Trouble is, in business, it doesn't happen that way. It's supposed to. But supervisors and managers and other colleagues have their jobs to do. And so they want to get on with doing their jobs and deliver results and check out and go home and have happy hour or a great weekend, TGIF, and have fun. So very often, somebody gets into a job and they don't get the help they're supposed to get. So what that does is it... It frustrates them because suddenly they're in a job that is not what they thought it was and it's not what they were told by the recruiter, it's not what they were talked into by the HR person and they get disappointment because they're stumbling around in the job instead of getting on top of it. Now the job may turn out not to really be the job they want but if they are seen to be highly successful in that job that's the stepping stone to where they want to get. Correct. So they have to be proactive from day one. Ask the questions. Love it. So what are so what's the first step? Well, let me go through what the seven steps Let's are do it. because I'd like to paint a picture that every job, it doesn't matter what the job is, whether you're an engineer, whether you're an HR person, whether you're an accountant, whether you're an attorney, whether you're a doctor, every job is the same. Every job has an environment. And in fact, it has an internal environment and an external environment. That internal environment is what happens at the workstation and around the workstation. It's the, the close area around where the person works. But the external environment is, what are the other departments in this job that you have to interact with? Or when you get on the phone or the computer, what are the other companies that you interact with? What are the outside systems you interact with? You know, who are the outside people? Who are the customers or who are the people you're supporting? There's an external environment. You need to understand both what goes on in and around that workstation and how you relate to everything outside of that space. That's the environment. Every job has a workflow. And so there's a starting point and an end point and there's steps where you go through the job. Some things even happen in parallel and you flexibly move between them. But you need to plot what is the process in this job? What, you know, how does it flow? Okay. Then you need to know what I call the ins and outs. So for each of those process steps, each step has outputs. Those are the objectives. It's what you've got to deliver at that, that point. The inputs, which might be raw materials, parts, and things like that. And you have to apply your processes to deliver those outputs. But here's what a lot of people don't teach in the job. Every job has feedback. They have devices. It might be computers. It might be gauges. Uh, like when you're driving your car, the speedometer is a very simple feedback mechanism. Okay? It's telling you how you're performing or overperforming. Ha! Overperforming, how do you know that you're under or overperforming? You've got to have a feed forward. 
So in a car driving down the street, 35 miles an hour signpost, that's a feed forward. Your feedback on the speedometer is you're doing, you know, you're going past a school, you're supposed to be doing 15, you're doing 30 miles an hour, boom, you've just got a $300 fine. Okay, so every job has inputs, processes, outputs, feedback and feed forward. So once you understand the steps in the job, then you need to understand at each point what are the ins and outs. What people need to understand is that every job has frequencies. In fact, 20% of the things that you have to do in a job or the things that you have to use to do the job or the things you must deliver in the job, 20% of them happen 80% of the time. The 80-20 so, rule. The 80-20 rule. So if you can just latch on to that 20%, okay, whoop, suddenly you're productive 80% of the time. Latch on to the 20% and people start, wow, look at this kid, man. She really got into the job real fast. How did she do that? Well, if you give her the right things to do and questions to ask, she can identify that. Okay. Now, for some critical parts of the job, it's a good idea if the checklists don't exist to create a checklist. Okay. What does a pilot do when they walk into the cabin of an aircraft? They have like 60-point-plus checklist. Yeah. yeah, checklist, checklist. Nobody understands it better than pilots, <laughs> astronauts, and, and physicians. Okay. So create a couple of checklists quickly so that when you're in those critical parts of the job, if you happen to have a, you know, a blank spot, look it up, oh, zoom, do it without making mistakes. Now, talking about mistakes, every job, in every job, faults happen. You know, I know I'm on a podcast, so I can't say bad words, but <laughs> faults happen. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? 20% of them happen? 80% of the time. 80% of the time. <laughs> high five. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, ask around. Ask around. The colleagues there, if you give them the right questions to ask, identify those questions mm -hmm. that you can identify what goes wrong in the job 80% of the time. And then finally, every job has a patrol pattern and inspection sequence, and so you have to patrol around the job to identify where faults may happen before they happen. So you explained all the seven processes. Um, for, the, for the audience that might be, like, visualize, it, like myself, can we maybe pick an example of a job that a lot of us might understand what that job consists of and then go through the steps for that specific job? Yeah. Let's pick a job that everybody knows. You go to the grocery store, okay? Okay. And you're going to pick up your groceries, and then you come along to the cashier. Okay. Well, the cashier has an internal and external environment. So the example we're going to use is the cashier at a grocery store. Cashier at a grocery Perfect. store. Perfect. So let, let's start. So number one is environment. Yeah. The cashier has to understand, okay, what is my workstation? You know, oh, barcodes, and I've got a scan codes, and I've got a cash drawer, and people come in and, oh, I've got a bagger over here, all right, and I've got to take products and scan them and so on, all right. Oh, but the cash, in my internal environment, I've got to balance that cash every now and again, hand it over to security because security must get it into the room at the back. That's my internal environment. My external environment is, hey, I've got to check in and check out every day. I've got to deal with a manager who schedules me as to which workstation I'm going to work at when. Uh, I have... 
um, the security guy who picks up the cash, I have vendors who come in, and I have people who are placing stuff on the shelves, I have customers, those in, they, in my external and my internal environment, but they will ask me, hey, I couldn't find this or I couldn't find that, where is it? But you'd better know, outside of your workstation, where things are in the store, internal and external environment. Perfect. Okay. Process flow is I check in, I get to my workstation, I clean it up, I load my cache, I reconcile my cache, okay, workstation's clean, I check around, you know, the products that are there for people to pick up, I put them in place, if, if there's some missing, I stack them up, is my bagger there? Yep, come on bagger, we're ready to go. And oops, there's my light that's flat, that's red right now, switch it off, I'm ready to take customers, okay. So that's uh, part of the process. Now the next part of the process is customers flowing through. Okay, and I'm scanning their products and letting them go through. And that's your frequencies? No, no, that's still part of the process. It's still part of the process. Okay, and I work my day, I'm going to have my lunch break, and then uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to reconcile the cash again at the end of my shift because I'm going to hand it over to security. Okay, I'm going to clean up my workstation, and I'm going to do a handover to the next cashier. Okay, those are the different process steps. Now, the frequencies is, you know, 20% of those things happen every time. Of course, customers going out, you know, checking out, 20% of the, of, um, I'm going to do two in one. I'm also going to do the faults at the same time. Okay. okay. Customers checking out, there's a thing, I couldn't find it. Or, oops, I've, I've actually got the wrong thing, uh, and I'm not going back there. What do I do? Okay, or the customer says, hey, oh, one of the, the things is customers put uh, Coke or Diet Coke in the bottom of the trolley or water at the bottom of the trolley. And because it's heavy, they don't pick it up. But then if you don't notice that it's down there, you haven't scanned it. And All right, so in, uh, you know, we've got a shortage of time. So I j I'm just throwing out a couple of the faults yeah. that happen in the job that have to be fixed. The most critical one, of course, is if your cash doesn't reconcile. Um, and the other thing is you've got to manage coupons and you've got to manage checks. And quite often your credit card terminal, you know, coughs out. Right. You've got to know how to set it up and get it going. So and so your advice for someone that just started a job as a cashier, yeah. right, and wants to be successful in that job r relatively quickly is that you want her to identify what is the 20% of the task that make 80% of her time watches the ca yeah. cashier yep. and focus on being productive on those yeah. first, right? First. Like, learn those the quickest because yeah. that's where you're... The so that would be checking in the customers, ringing in the customers because right. the majority of her time would probably be ringing in the customers. Right. Then once she's kind of like really focused and mastered that, then she would focus on the 80% of the tasks that make up 20% of, of the time. And that's called experience. You know, people say uh, to college folk, oh, you don't have experience. What do they mean? Well, they mean that you have not been around long enough to have learned the low-frequency things that happen, the 80% that happens only 20% of the time. That's all experience is. It's being around long enough to have done low-frequency events enough time to know how to tackle them when they come up.
That's a good way to look at what experience is. Yeah, I know we've had to go through this really quickly, Daniel, but yeah. if people go to www.leskowie.com, there's a little animated video there that explains the seven steps for them. That's perfect. And we would make sure that we add your website on the show notes. So for the students or even the audience that's listening to this that actually would like to go into more details on the seven steps for employees to be successful quickly, um, you can go on his website, on Les's website, which the link will be on the show notes, to make sure you watch that animated video. H- how long is the video? I think it's... So, five, four and a half or yeah, five minutes. Less so. than five minutes long, and it will dive in, more animated. Just because of the fact that it is a podcast, it might be a little more difficult to explain and see it, but I think you guys understand the main points of how is it so important to go through those steps, and regardless of the job that you do, you, you're going to go through those steps um, and it's going to help you. If I can add one more yeah. thing, Daniel, um, my phone number's on that site and, you know, um, I'm an older guy and I'm at that point in life where I like to give mm-hmm. rather than take. When you're young in a career, it's all about what are you going to get out of life, okay? I love if there are college students who are challenged with some of these things or more interested in some of them and actually want to pick up the phone and call, I do a lot of mentoring, and this is not about, you know, I don't want to sell anything or or build people anything. If there's someone who needs help, I love to be able to help, and a lot of that help is free. So they're welcome if they want to give me a call to call. Well, you guys have heard it. Les, last question. We've talked now for 30 minutes. We talked about interviewing, you got the job, and we talked about the seven steps but if the students only take away one thing from this episode, what would you like that to be? Be proactive, ask questions. Perfect. Be proactive and ask questions. That applies to any job, any major, any field of study. Um, you guys have heard it. Les, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Not only just to come on the podcast and spend some time with me, and share your your vast knowledge, but even to offer to the audience and to college students that pick up the phone, call them, ask them. I would definitely take up on that offer if I was a student. Even myself, you're going to expect me to call you from time to time. Good. Um, (laughs) Because you're so knowledgeable about this. You've been doing this for a long time. You You know what you're talking about. So I really appreciate you taking the time, sharing this with the audience. Thank you so much. Any last few words for the audience? All the best. Graduate, be successful. (laughs) Thank you so much. And everybody else, catch you guys on the next episode. If you've listened thus far to this episode of the podcast, you absolutely rock. But now I need your help. Please make sure you subscribe and leave me a review. Thank you so much and talk to you soon.